Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Susie on in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. This week on The Recap, new laws signed in Springfield. Governor Pritzker has signed new legislation to advance the rights of the LGBTQ plus community in Illinois. A headache for Kwame Raoul. Hackers broke into the Illinois Attorney General's computer network. And some are saying hooray, while others say oy vey. Big crowds early on at Lollapalooza. 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 Festival attendees must also show proof of vaccination or negative COVID test within the last three days. We know that Delta variant is much more contagious than the variants we were seeing a year ago. So while outdoors is safer than indoors, there's a lot of concerns that we're going to see a lot of significant spread from this event. Here to take us inside the biggest local and state stories of the week are Dan Petrella, state government reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and Paris Schutz, WTTW political correspondent and host of Chicago Tonight. Paris, Dan, welcome back to The Recap. Thank you, Susie. Good to see you. All right, be yeah, with you. Yeah, Well, guys, they're music fans, they're a major revenue source for local business, and they're drunk partiers spreading COVID-19. No matter how you see them, hundreds of thousands are in Chicago for the next four days. The festival kicked off the same day Cook County was added to the CDC's list of high transmission areas. Dan, can you get us up to speed on where we are with mask recommendations? Sure. So earlier this week, the CDC put out new guidelines saying that counties that meet their guidelines for substantial or high transmission of COVID-19, people should be wearing masks indoors, uh, regardless of whether they've been vaccinated or not. At the beginning of the week, when the state announced that they were going to be following those guidelines, only Will County in the Chicago area was meeting the, the criteria for substantial transmission. The next day, DuPage and McHenry counties joined that list. And yesterday, just as uh, the hordes were descending on Grant Park, so Lollapalooza, mm-hmm. Cook County was added to that list as well. The city and the state have not put in new universal mask mandates at this point, although late yesterday afternoon, um, Governor Pritzker did announce that all masks would be required, regardless of vaccination status mm-hmm. at all uh, state facilities. Well, Paris, what have you been hearing in terms of Lala crowd sizes? Uh, I imagine Grant Park is packed. I have not been there, Susie. I'm one of those folks that uh, is going to stay away, but I've been looking at the helicopter shots. Mm-hmm. It certainly looks like the projections of 100,000 people per day will be met. And, I, you know, I don't know about you or Dan, but I, I kind of have a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach uh, about where we're all going here with the Delta variant because and I talked to a number of public health experts. There, there's consensus. Lollapalooza is going to be a spreader event. Yeah. People will get COVID. And the Delta variant at Lollapalooza, it's, it's just a matter of how, how many. It's not a matter of if. And we see the positivity rates uh, just soaring over the last week. In the state, it's over 4% now. Um, when it was under 1% just a few weeks ago, and I, I just talked with uh, one Chicago alderman that, uh, that believes that we could see rates in the city uh, approaching 10% the yeah. test positivity rate. So mm-hmm. all of this together leads me to believe that we're headed toward a really troubling place over the next few weeks. Yeah, and those breakthrough cases are with those who have been fully vaccinated. Uh, Dan, you know, the, the festival is going on. So tell us about the COVID protocols at Lala. 
Yeah, and it's important to note that the breakthrough cases, I think, are still, still very, very rare, and it's really mostly the unvaccinated people who are driving all of this. And that's one of the reasons that when you show up to Lollapalooza, you either have to um, show proof of vaccination or a recent negative COVID test. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they had originally announced that it was going to be a COVID test within 24 hours before attending the festival. And then over the weeks leading up to the event, it was sort of quietly relaxed to 72 hours. And, um, you know, there are public health experts that worry that that gives somebody time to get infected between when they get their negative test and when they show up at the gates at, at Grand Park. Yeah. Do we have any idea why they made that change, Dan? Dr. Allison already, the Chicago Health Commissioner, was saying the other day that it was kind of um, in line with what has been done at other large events, and it's sort of um, the industry practice right now. You know, there's concern. There was a music festival um, overseas where about 1,000 people who attended got affected. Um, it was in the Netherlands, and um, they had more stringent testing requirements. So it's just uh, a question of, you know, how many cases are we going to see as a result of all these people gathering shoulder to shoulder in Grant Park. Yeah. And Dan, you know, once folks are in the festival, um, what do we know about how masks and social distancing is being enforced? Um, well, there's no no mask requirement. You know, it's an outdoor event. People are being encouraged to wear masks. And I have not been on the ground there, but from the, the photos I've seen from our uh, photojournalists who are there, there are lots of people packed together not wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I think it's just going to be a really big test. Not only there, Susie, but I mean, like, photos of people, you know, in subway stops, yeah. stops on the metro, just packed together. And it's the indoor areas that are worse. And, you know, well, Blues is not the only culprit. There was a concert at the United Center last night, uh, James Taylor, and uh, that's indoors, and that's 18,000 people or 20,000 people. There's, you know, baseball games. Um, so there, there are a lot of uh, potential super spreader events now as, as this Delta variant um, is proven to be much more transmissible than, than past variants. Well, besides the hotels and restaurants benefiting from Lala tourists, pot shops stocked up for the big event, too. Uh, Dan, there was some news this week about marijuana store licenses. Can you give us an update? Yeah, that's right. The state, after pausing issuing new licenses, which we heard about in the intro there at the at the top of the segment, um, Issued 55 new licenses yesterday, and they're working through this process to try to get more licenses to minority-owned businesses and businesses that um, are owned by people who have been disproportionately affected by the by the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. There were some problems with the first round where those, those folks weren't really getting a, a shot to get the licenses. So this is the first of three new rounds of lotteries, and they redid the scoring system to try and uh, open it up to to more people. And we're going to see if they've been effective at meeting the goals that they set when they legalized marijuana at the beginning of 2020. Well, we'll keep tabs on that. But let's, for now, move on to some other events of the week. Paris, Chicago's mayor had some good news to publicize. It involved getting workers some sick leave they were owed. What can you tell us about that? Well, this is about uh, $935,000 in fines and back pay that the two main companies had to pay because they violated the, the city's uh, paid sick leave ordinance. They did not pay their uh, workers for a certain amount of sick days. They took one of the companies, Mondelez, based on the south side. Uh, you may know some of their products, uh, namely Oreo cookies mm-hmm. and, uh, and Trident. And they, in a statement, uh, admitted their culpability and, uh, and said that they were working with the city to resolve and to get back pay 
to workers, um, and then the other company uh, is uh, one of the largest uh, franchises of Burger Kings um, in the country, or builds itself as that, and one of their Burger Kings is located in the 14th Ward, uh, home of Alderman Ed Burke. Ed Burke was accused of in a federal indictment of, uh, of shaking down, yeah. so, so that company's been in the news. But it is uh, apparently the largest uh, fine um, levied yet uh, for violating the paid sick leave warning. So some workers are going to get some some back pay that they were owed. Mm-hmm. And Dan, in other news, you covered the story this week about some new Illinois laws benefiting the LGBTQ community. Give us the details. That's right. The governor signed four bills earlier this week, possibly the most notable of which uh, repealed a law that the state passed in the 1980s that uh, criminalized uh, not even transmission of HIV necessarily, but if someone had unprotected sex, someone who's HIV positive and didn't inform their partner, they could be charged with a felony. Mm-hmm. Um, it also applied to organ and tissue donations and needle sharing. And public health experts, LGBTQ advocates say that this is not uh, an effective way of stopping the spread of the virus, and it's really just stigmatizing people who need uh, medical help rather than, um, you know, actually taking steps to to slow the spread of this epidemic that's been with us for a few decades now. Another bill opens up health insurance for people who have uh, certain health plans. It's about 20% of health insurance plans in the state. Coverage for fertility treatment for um, same-sex couples Mm -hmm. would be single parents, people who previously were not able to qualify for insurance coverage for that very expensive process. Mm -hmm. And then there's some other stuff having to do with being able to um, do name changes on marriage certificates uh, when someone legally changes their name and also removing uh, gendered language like like husband and wife uh, from marriage licenses and replacing it with the spouse instead. Mm-hmm. In Paris, Illinois, Attorney General Kwame Raoul also made news this week acknowledging that the AG's office was hacked. What do we know there? Well, there's some ransomware uh, that allegedly is linked to uh, Russian uh, hackers and and what the AG said is it's cost 2.5 million dollars to try and mitigate the problem to their website and, and a lot of the services that the AG provides you have to call or mail now because uh, the website is still down but what the AG said is they're not going to pay the ransom um, you know uh, the way these ransomware attacks have worked is that they're, they're extracting ransom money and the AG said we're not going to do that the only other thing we know is that. The uh, Illinois Auditor General had warned the AG that uh, that their systems were vulnerable yeah. to a ransomware attack. This is all under federal investigation. That's Paris Schutz of WTTW. Also along with us this week on the recap is Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune. Dan, Paris, legendary Chicago pitchman Ron Popeil died this week. So to honor him, I need to say, but wait, there's more. Here with Anthony Rizzo, Cubs mainstay. Obviously, we just heard the news, traded to the New York Yankees. The best years of my life have been in Chicago, and it's not like it's really goodbye. It's I feel like I'll be part of the city forever. Exelon says it's preparing to dismantle its reactors in Byron and Dresden and notifying the plants of expected job losses that will number in the hundreds. I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. But in order to heal from the damage caused that day, we need to call out the facts. The mayor now confirms the city has reached a tentative contract agreement with a union that represents rank-and-file Chicago police officers. I shouldn't have walked into office with a contract that was already two years expired. Okay, Paris, we just heard those clips about a new contract for the Chicago police. 
Would you lay out some of the most important parts of this contract? Well, it's an eight-year contract, but that includes the four years of back pay where the police were operating without a contract. So four years past, four years going forward. A lump sum, uh, which is uh, somewhere between three and four hundred million dollars that the city's going to have to pony up right away. And they said they're just going to, well, they're going to refinance existing debt to find the money to pay for that. But then it also has reforms that are consistent with Mm -hmm. the federal consent decree that CPD is still trying to comply with. And some of those, some of the more interesting ones, uh, it will, you know, it will allow anonymous complaints against police officers. That's something that the police union was adamantly opposed to. Um, It would also ban having police officers change their statements after a a uh, police-involved incident after they view video. So this, this came up in the Laquan McDonald case where police officers, you know, made their statements about what happened. Then they go back and look at the video and then they went and changed their statements. So now they can't do that anymore. And the FOP president, John Catanzara, is urging his members to sign this. But I think it's an open question whether or not they will. I mean, I, I would assume they likely would, but, mm-hmm. you know, he campaigned on being the head of the FOP uh, by saying, look, we're, hell no to some of these reforms. Or if you want any of these reforms, then you're going to have to pay up. If you're the city, you're going to have to give us big uh, raises. So uh, we'll have to see whether the rank and file believes that the raises in here are big enough to justify some of the reforms that they fought against. Well, Dan, were you surprised to see former mayoral candidate and former CEO of Chicago Public Schools, Paul Vallis, stepping in to help police with negotiations? I don't know that that's entirely surprising. He's positioned himself as a physical watchdog for the city and um, sort of, a, I guess he's taken on sort of this rabble-rouser role in the last several years. So um, not not too terribly surprised to see that. Do you think he's signaling something here, maybe wanting to run for office again? Uh, you know, that's outside of my wheelhouse, <laughs> but I'm not really sure. I mean, I suppose it's, it's entirely possible. Well, in other law enforcement news, a special prosecutor was appointed to look into possible wrongdoing at the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Paris, what are the details there? This is uh, the case of Jackie Wilson, who was just uh, released from prison and is suing uh, because of uh, a wrongful conviction. And he was a victim of not only torture under former uh, Area 2 Police Commander John Burge. Mm-hmm. And basically what he says is he... He, he had a coerced confession to a crime he did not commit, a murder he did not commit, because that's the only way he thought he'd get out alive, because he was being tortured. At a subsequent trial, you know, we learned that an assistant state's attorney had allegedly um, concocted evidence against Wilson to try and frame him. So the special prosecutor is going to go back. This, we're going back, you know, four decades here of alleged uh, malfeasance, and, you know, who knows who that could uh, and snare. I mean, in the early 80s, the, the Cook County State's Attorney was Richard M. Daly. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of this happened under his watch. We don't know if, if he knew anything about it because it's an assistant state's attorney here that allegedly, you know, was involved in this wrongdoing, but it couldn't snare a lot of people. Yeah. Dan, uh, Illinois politicians made national news this week. Uh, tell us about how Congressman Adam Kinzinger ended up on the January 6th commission. Yeah, it's interesting. He, um, stepped in at the last minute after Nancy Pelosi, the the Speaker of the House, uh, refused to seat two of the Republican appointees. Then the rest, including um, downstate Congressman Rodney Davis in Taylorville, withdrew from the panel. And uh, Kinzinger agreed with Nancy Pelosi to to take a seat on the panel. 
you know, he's been really one of the few outspoken Republicans in Congress on this issue, um, putting it at odds with the rest of his, much of the rest of his party, putting him in interesting territory for thinking about what his political future is here in, in Illinois. Dan, remind us where his district is and, and what, um, you know, knowing where his district is, what that could mean um, of him being on this commission. Sure. He's um, from Shanahan. He's kind of in an exurban sort of far outskirts of the Chicago areas where his district starts. And we're losing one uh, congressional seat in remapping before the next election. So, you know, there's speculation about whether his district is going to be carved up to put some of the more Democratic leaning areas into to shore up some Democratic districts because it's the Democrats who control the state legislature who uh, draw the map. And so the question whether he's going to lose his district or be, be drawn into a district that favors Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been speculation a little bit about whether he might run for governor. But, you know, to do that, he would have to win a Republican primary. He's sort of putting himself at odds with a big part of the core base of the party right now. Yeah. Well, Paris, what, what was your reaction um, to what you heard from Kinzinger this week? He, he was clearly emotional uh, in the testimony. It was clearly he wanted to be on this panel, and then House Speaker Pelosi put him on, announced that on, on Sunday. And I do remember talking to Kinzinger on the night of January 6th. You know, we did a Zoom interview from the Capitol, and, and he was clearly shaken. I mean, mm. clearly, I think it's authentic uh, how emotional he feels about what happened that day and the need to get uh, to the bottom of it and his anger at some of the um, – whitewashing of it in his own party. So, yeah, this has been a crusade for Kinziger, and I, I think he knows politically that he doesn't have much to lose. You know, he's on the outs with his party. His district might be redrawn so that he can't win in it again. Uh, and so he feels that this is necessary for, for the preservation of democracy to really get to the root of what happened that day. Mm-hmm. Well, Dan, let's move to another story you covered this week about a powerful power company threatening to close some nuclear plants. Um, Tell us more about that. That's right. Um, This is not entirely surprising news. Exelon, which is the parent company of Commonwealth Edison and the owner of uh, the nuclear plants in the state, said a year ago that they planned to shut down their Byron plant near Rockford and their Dresden plant in Grundy County near Morris if they didn't get state subsidies to help them compete with fossil fuel burning power plants. Um, you know, this came the initial announcement came a month after ComEd had admitted in federal court that they were in, uh, engaged in this years-long bribery scheme to try to advance their their legislative agenda in Springfield, um, and so it was sort of a tricky political situation for lawmakers and the governor to try and negotiate a way to keep these plants open, preserve a couple thousand high-paying union jobs at the power plants, um, but also not appear to be giving a handout to a powerful, profitable company mm-hmm. who had a subsidiary who had just, you know, admitted in federal court to engaging in these nefarious deeds mm-hmm. to get what they wanted out of the state. So this week they filed, uh, Exxon filed notice with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission in Washington that they are moving ahead with plans to decommission the plant. Well, what do you, what do you think the chances are of the, the stalled clean energy bill being voted on anytime soon in Springfield? sort of like a game of chicken, is, is Exxon really going to go forward and, and shut down these plants, or can they recently... Dan, Dan isn't there also talk of, of federal money in the in the bipartisan infrastructure bill being proposed to go toward uh, structuring there, nuclear plants like those two? There is, yes, and there's there's questions about, um, you know, whether, whether Washington is going to come through with help. From Exxon's point of view, they don't 
think anything is going to happen in Washington fast enough to change their timeline on, on decommissioning these plants. But there's some you know, thought among some in Springfield, you know, why should we do this for Exxon when Washington mm-hmm. might come in and help them? Then we don't have to wear the jacket for helping this company after what their subsidiaries have admitted to in, in court. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to round out the recap a little bit with sports. Let's turn to baseball. The trade deadline is at midnight tonight, and the core of the World Series winning Cubs team is being dismantled. Break the news yeah. to us, Paris. What have the Cubs done? Anthony Rizzo, one of the greatest uh, players to ever put on that blue pinstripe uniform, is gone. Mm. He uh, has uh, reportedly been traded to the Yankees for two prospects, and he was the leader of the team that won the first uh, uh, World Series for the Cubs in over a century. So he will always go down as one of the greatest Cubs of all time. And, I, you know, I think he still has some good years left. Clearly the Cubs are, are sellers this year. They had an 11-game losing streak. They're not contenders for anything. They want to rebuild. I don't understand why they couldn't keep the core of Rizzo, Bryant, and Javier Baez together and build around that. I mean, it, to me, it seems he needed to fill in some pieces uh, around there every year, namely with a good leadoff hitter, which they, they didn't have after Dexter Fowler, and with pitching, and, and they just didn't do it. I think it's disappointing uh, for Cubs fans. I mean, wonderful memories. As he said, he'll always be part of Chicago Cub history with Ron Santo and Ernie Banks and, and Ryan Stamberg. I mean, he's going to be up there on the Mount Rushmore, but disappointing that, yeah. uh, that Cubs fans couldn't get a few more years out of this core. I mean, he's just an all-around good guy, too. And an all-around great guy with yes. his work with the Lurie Children's Hospital and child cancer. I mean, every everywhere you look, you know, he's doing another good thing, and he's just, by all accounts, a, a, a terrific role model and, and, a, and a great part of the fabric of the city. And so, so as he said, he'll, he'll be back. Uh, you know, he'll always be a part of the city. Yeah. Well, of course, baseball is about memories and heart, uh, but in the end, it's it's business. It's a business. It's a bottom line. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Dan, are you, would you be as vicious? Would you have done this trade? Well, Jed Hoyer clearly knows more, way more about baseball <laughs> than I do. Um, you know, it, it's hard. I think we as fans have that tie to the past, that sense of nostalgia. You know, we fall in love with these players. Rizzo is a great guy. A little bit disappointed to find out that he was one of the players who um, declined to get vaccinated. I think maybe he could have set a better example for folks there. But, you know, they have to think about the future. And, and, you know, as a fan, it is sad that with these great players, some of the best Cubs teams in memory, they only were able to win one World Series. But, you know, just before we jumped on, I watched the video of Bryant throwing to Rizzo for the final out of the 2016 World Series. And it brought a smile to my face again. And I think that's, you know, what a lot of people in Chicago will will think about when they think about Anthony Rizzo for years and years to come. That's Dan Petrella, state government reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and Paris Schutz, WTTW political correspondent and host of Chicago Tonight. Thanks for joining us today. And that's this week's recap. Want to go beyond the headlines of the biggest local and state stories of the week? Make sure you're subscribed to the Reset Podcast. I'm Susie Ann. Sasha is back on Monday. Until then, thanks for being here with me, and we'll catch you back here soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.